Vasudevasutam devam Tansujanuramardanam Devaki paramarandam Krishnam vannev jagatguram Hi and welcome to Gita Girl. My name is Sharmila and the Gita Girl podcast is about how to live skillfully and be the best version of yourself by using the advice in the Bhagavad Gita. We will be simplifying and learning how to apply these valuable lessons in our daily lives to optimize the outcome in any situation. In today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Mohit, my son, who's 23 years old. And in the few times Mohit has joined my adult Bhagavad Gita class whenever he has been in New York, the students seem quite entertained and interested in his point of view on the Gita. So I just thought it'd be interesting to have him here with us today to kind of see what he has to say about this uh, 5,000-year-old text. Jai Krishna Mohit. Jai Krishna Mom. I wanted you to do this episode with me because you have, of course, grown up in the Hindu faith and with me being your teacher in Balvihar, which is a Hindu class for children. And that turned you into an atheist. <laughs> <Which says a lot. laughs> My teaching. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, like you've grown up with your grandparents, a very religious atmosphere at home and a spiritual one. But my question is that um, as much as you're an atheist, I'd like you to talk about why um, you still believe in the Bhagavad Gita and still subscribe to its teachings, given that you actively believe there is no God. Hmm. So why does the Bhagavad Gita resonate with you? Yeah, um, I think I was introduced to the Bhagavad Gita at a time when, like I was entering high school and people were really valuing college acceptances. People were talking about, I want to make this amount of money. And so I want to go to this college. People were kind of talking about success and using all of these like code words for what I would consider forming a social hierarchy around colleges, money, whatever. I couldn't really find that many tools to provide an alternate way of defining what one would want from life. And along comes Rigita. And then chapter two, which I'll talk more about because it's my favorite chapter, is all about how to remove yourself from being tempted by all the desires so I just like vibe, you know, I just hardcore vibed and I still vibe. It makes you ask the deep questions like, what do I want independent of other people's praise? I think that's a web I often get tangled up in is like really wanting people to like me. And I, f- I feel like it's a universal experience, right? Mm-hmm. The Gita has been helpful. It gives me the push I need to be like, well, what do I actually want? What will give me the most joy independent of people thinking I'm cool or not cool or thinking what I'm doing is prestigious or not prestigious and then later asking me so how do I scratch that itch of like being loved in more productive ways and I think that's kind of what the Gita does for me. I like hearing that so what I'm hearing from you is it's a great way to look at the world and find relevance or happiness and a way forward that is contrary to popular culture now where we are very outward looking, right? Like mm-hmm. I get money and success and power and fame and Instagram likes and all the rest of it, that'll make me happy. Right. But, but it seems that you're resonating with the idea that is espoused in the Gita and many other ancient texts that true happiness comes 
from somewhere else within you. Yeah, from kind of learning to manage those stimuli that is part of living on Earth. Literally since you, I think, four years old, I started teaching. Mm. Initially, it was like you learned it as a child, right? You know, the gods and the ritualism and all that fun mm. stuff. And then the Bhagavad Gita came in high school. Um, what's resonated with you and why? What What have you vibed with the most? Tell us about that. So chapter two, I find just like brilliant. So basically, the like overarching what's going on is in chapter one, Arjun's like, yo, I don't want to kill my family. Okay, I'm going to put down my weapons. I'm having a panic attack. I'm freaking out. Krishna, what do I do? Um, or he says that in the beginning of chapter two, but end of chapter one, beginning of chapter two, you know. Correct, correct. Okay, so after that, Krishna is like, first of all, you're embarrassing yourself. Stand up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally why he says <laughs> <laughs> he's like you're literally a warrior you can't like you're in front of your whole army like you gotta you gotta inspire confidence man like this is your job so first of all stand up and then we're gonna have this conversation and so arjun while he's freaking out is like i don't want any of the things that i wanted at the beginning now that i'm seeing what i'm gonna have to do i want to go to the mountains i want to live as a monk i want to forget this forever Correct. Then, or, yeah. or in today's speak, I want to go home and binge watch Netflix totally. while eating a tub of ice cream. Yeah, Uber Eats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, Can't and- I just binge watch Netflix? That's what he tells me. <laughs> no, wait. That, that looks like a lot more fun than this. <laughs> and um, Krishna is basically like, I hear what you're saying. Again, what Arjun said was, I don't want to kill my family because that's like something that's obviously difficult for most people, I would hope, would find that difficult. And then Arjun also says, and I don't want to kill them because I would only be killing them for the kingdom, like for the right to rule. It's sinful to kill people for material gain. That's what Arjun's saying. And so Krishna basically launches into this idea in chapter two where he's like, this is how you do something without doing it only for the reward. And if you do that, then you're actually free from the sin that you think you're going to incur Arjun by gaining the kingdom. If you're not doing it for the kingdom, if you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, then you'll be okay. And then at the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, Arjun says, I didn't get that at all. Say that again. And that's like the rest of the Gita. That's like how the Gita is set up. Because it's a tough pill to swallow, right? Yeah. So you had a good teacher in school they don't repeat an idea once, they repeat it over and over with so many different angles so that one of them will penetrate mm. into your brain, right? Mm. And, and Krishna is the ultimate teacher, so he has to repeat the same idea over and yeah. over with slightly different nuances. I'll go into my favorite concept, chapter 2, verse 15, 56, and 38. The language he uses is treating alike pleasure and pain and not perturbed by adversity, not craving happiness. So it's not that you don't experience those emotions. It's that you're not obsessed with them. You're not chasing happiness. So you're not running away from pain. In high school, a very clear example of what this meant to me was I would see these videos of people like getting into the colleges they wanted. And like, they would have these like viral videos of people like screaming and being like, yeah, I got into whatever. Um, and like, or people posting it on their news feeds 
uh, on Facebook. And that was something that like irritated me to no end. Um, because always I would be very sensitive to the friends that I had older or younger who did not experience that luck and did not experience that same positive fate and would be feeling really, really awful. And so the college process is quite like Kafka-esque and like totally out of one's control. These verses made sense because to give up your happiness to an outside power to me seemed very dangerous. And these verses kind of gave me a way to like reclaim my happiness from the college process or from high school grades or insert whatever authority figure um, you'd like. And so that's why it was important to me. I experience it as when it says treating a like pleasure and pain, it's making sure that the external influences from you don't define you. I think that's how I took those verses. I also think the idea that pleasure and pain need to be treated the same and without prejudice is important because I think a lot of people with an attachment to pleasure or with like a, a drive, like I only want to experience pleasure, end up neglecting things that are really important, that are painful, that even though they're painful will actually ultimately help them be a better person in the end. I think an example we can all relate to is procrastinating with our work because our work is unpleasant, but that YouTube video we're watching is really pleasant. Um, and obviously, we would be long-term happier if we could find a healthier balance between the two, maybe working for 25 minutes, then taking a couple YouTube videos. Um, I think other examples where the stakes are higher is maybe taking the time to realize maybe the relationship you're in is either not working or is actively unhealthy. Maybe the job that you have is something actually that brings you sadness and negative emotions. And maybe you're attached to the, maybe it'll just be easier to stay here and not experience the pain, even if it takes me to a better place in the end. And I think that kind of denial or that kind of convincing oneself that things will be okay without action, I think that attachment to pleasure is what the phrasing treat pain and pleasure alike is actually addressing. Yeah, I think that's actually really great. I hadn't thought about it like that before, Mohit, that Krishna here is talking about denial. A lot of times you run away from the thought of pain. Mm -hmm. We don't deal with issues that should be dealt with, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's dealing with health issues, family mm -hmm. issues, relationship issues. Right. Or we're too embarrassed to seek help, to right. tell our family member, hey, this is a problem I'm dealing with. Right. Um, because, yeah, because we, we view that as painful. Right, exactly. And then, because we don't, we have such a prejudice, like you said, or bias, mm -hmm. or fear of pain, mm -hmm. or what we perceive to be pain, mm -hmm. it just makes the situation worse. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we had dealt with it in the first place, it would have been painful, but not as bad as if we prolong dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's, yeah really... and that's true of any type of growth, whether it's working out or practicing piano or being making your relationship better by telling your partner, like, hey, this is something I need you to work on. <laughs> right, 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 right. A lot of times we stick our heads in the sand because we don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I like that interpretation. That's... Mm -hmm. Or we're, we only want good things to happen. We're not willing to go through that, you know, patch of mud to like get to the other side. That's a really great point of view. Thank you for sharing that.
So then, Mohit, why choose atheism? If the Bhagavad Gita works for you, why choose atheism? I do not believe in God because I think that if there is something wrong with the world, it is my responsibility to change it. I do not believe anybody's going to come save me. I do not believe our world is just. I think that's the inherent thing. I think our world is random. I think it is unfair. I see no reason for why I should be, you know, born into a financially stable household. But other people are not. I know people say that, oh, it's my karma from past lives that I um, was born into a, a financially stable house. But that is, yeah, just not how I can see the world, I think. You always say this, mom, that Krishna says, if you don't believe in God, it's a more severe path, but ultimately it's you can still follow the teachings of Gita and receive the positive benefits from it. And I absolutely agree with that. I think being an atheist is absolutely a more severe path, but I also believe that I think I see the planet Earth as a pretty severe place, and I don't think I have it in me to buff my view of the world with religion. And I think other people, it is helpful for them to use religion to make our world more manageable, which again, I totally am for. And like, to a certain extent, probably like wish I could have, but I ultimately don't see the world uh, as a place that's fair to people. And I think also, um, just my work in, in specifically in mental health has kind of shown me like just the awful things some people do to each other. And like someone really has full autonomy to like hurt another person. And I don't think that praying or God will stop that. So I hear what you're saying, Mohit, and that humans do have autonomy to do horrible things to each other. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they do. But Krishna in the Gita is giving us a pathway and a guidebook to actually change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. No, right. That's a that's why I'm here. That's why I'm reading the text. That's right. yeah. I think yeah, yeah. We're different uh, different paths, the same destination for sure. Right. So I think Krishna's telling us all of this in the Bhagavad Gita that yo stop being mean to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even in ways you didn't think you were being mean, like overreacting or mm-hmm. in denial or anger or all the negativity, having a negative attitude, according to Krishna, is also negative karma in mm-hmm. the Bhagavad Gita, which we'll talk about in future podcasts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, humans do do mean things to each other and do have complete autonomy. Mm-hmm. And the Bhagavad Gita is the roadmap on how to stop that and to analyze your own behavior and understand what's helpful to you and others and what's harmful to you and others. And most of the time we don't know. Yeah. And and in terms of karma, this is actually the last podcast in this season and next season, which I'm hoping will launch in January Mm. of 2021. Obviously we're going to see what comes up between now and then, and maybe do a few topical podcast but I think the main bulk of it is going to be dealing with karma and the way karma works so yeah so you've chosen not to believe in God and that works for you great and I understand what you're saying the world is a severe place which Mm -hmm. is why like you said a lot of people choose to believe in religion or 
choose to believe in God rather. Mm. Choose to believe in God, myself included, and you don't. Great. You choose not to believe in God because the world is severe. I choose to believe in God because the world is severe. severe. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty (laughs) much it. (laughs) For me, it makes sense to do the, you know, because the world is random, that's why we need to care for people who the randomness didn't work out for. And for you, I think it's because the world is structured as Krishna says it is, it is our duty to help those people for whom it's not working out for. And so it's, again, the same destination, different paths. Cool. Which, which is, it's all about, like you said, Mohit, whatever works for you. Um, and Krishna is all about that. Just so you know, in the Gita, in chapter 12, Lord Krishna says, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in me. Krishna says, you don't have to believe in any of it. So long as you follow the teachings of the Gita, you're golden. He's like, it just, if you have faith, life becomes, he says, less severe. But he says, if you don't have faith, it's totally fine. So long as you follow the teachings and live your life according to the Gita, you can, like you say, rightly, Mohit, manage your stress and karmically still get the benefits. Belief is sort of the icing on the cake, but it's not necessary. And so the question I wanted to ask my mom is, I think a dangerous interpretation of the Gita is if you meditate and if you fully achieve equanimity, you can take any external circumstance without changing the world around you and can do it fully through internal acceptance. And I think that's a dangerous interpretation. I think I tend in my belief system to skew that it most often is is the right thing to do to change your external world. I was wondering for you, what decision making process goes into your calculus for like, is this a problem I can handle on in terms of being able to like manage it internally? Or is this something I should actually confront somebody? So Mohit, this is a really great question that people misquote the Gita to say, you know what, if you just changed your attitude, and if you just sucked it up and got stronger, you, you'd be able to deal with this. This is your fault, right? Right. So the question you're asking me, so I understand correctly, is that at what point is it no longer about you changing your attitude? At what point is it time to take action? Right? Is that correct? Right. And at what point, if the cold freezing air is coming in, at what point is mm-hmm. it time to close the window and say, okay, yeah. there's no more sweaters I can put on. Thank you very much. It's time for me to close right. the window. Somebody actually asked me this question in class a couple of years ago. It was It was a work-related one where they said that in one's job, when should one walk away from a task mm-hmm. after constant perseverance and no progress? When is it time to walk away? Mm-hmm. When's it time to, to call it a day and say, you know, I've given my best and that's that. It's a complicated question and can be broken down into three parts. Number one, what should my attitude be towards the task, which we've discussed in the past episodes We've discussed doing your best, leaving the rest. We've discussed offering all your work as an offering to the universe to be able to kind of take your attachment to the results out of it and maximize your performance. I'm hearing from you is the second part is when should I walk away? And then after I've walked away, was all my effort wasted? Because a lot of times we don't want to walk away because we've invested so much already 
in the mm. task, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a particular assignment or a particular job. We don't want to walk away because we're like, wait, mm. we're in too deep. And will my effort be wasted? Like, I don't want to have wasted all this time I've put in, right? Mm. So the Gita is all about dharma, doing your duty, right? Krishna says that, you know, the whole concept of the Gita is what is my duty? I have to do what is my responsibility. And Krishna says in chapter 3, verse 35, better is one's own duty, though devoid of merit, than the duty of another well-performed. So basically what he's saying is that you do your duty. What is your responsibility, you do it. Even though somebody may not give you credit for it, if it's your responsibility, you do it. And karmically, you get the benefits, regardless of where that lands in the short term, in the long term, the benefits will come to you. Then he says, the duty of another is fraught with fear. Basically, he says that when you have fulfilled your own responsibilities, when you doing what you do is fulfilling somebody else's responsibility, that's a no-no. I feel that when something has ceased to be your responsibility, Mm -hmm. you walk away. Like, I'll give you an example. Okay, many, many years ago, I was having a tough time with a relative of mine, which happened to be a senior relative. And this particular member of my family is much more senior to me. And I actually was having such a really horrible time with it. I went into therapy Mm -hmm. because it was actually really making me depressed. And this person was really giving me a hard time. And I felt like I had to take it. I just felt Mm -hmm. every time I was in this person's presence, I just had to suck it up and take the humiliation, the nastiness, the, the berating. I just had to take it. And that relationship I walked away from after my two years of therapy. Um, (laughs) I walked away from it in a very nice way. I still did what I needed to do to maintain the relationship and keep the family intact But emotionally, I walked away and physically, I walked away and kept my contact very minimal. And it really worked. And I think everyone, including the person who was mean to me or nasty to me, I think they even appreciated. They didn't even want me around triggering them. And I think it was a relief for them too, honestly. For some reason, something about me upset them. And I think it was also good for them. I think it was great all around. I think they were happier. I was happier. They were happier. My kids were happier. Everyone was happier. Mm. My spouse was happier. Everyone was happier. I think their ego was a bit bruised, but other than that, it was all good. And I, again, I did fulfill my duty and my responsibilities to keep that relationship going just for the sake of the family, but I would not allow myself to be hurt by it anymore. And I kept it very minimal and very cordial. Mm-hmm. That's what the Gita asks you to do, right? Without resentment, without hate, without violence, right? And that's what I did. And it was great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that there came a point where you realized that your duty to them was impacting your duty to yourself. And my duty to my family. I'm a mother. At that time, I had, you know, I still have two children. And I was thinking to myself, like, what? 
Right. They can't see somebody treat me like that. That's not cool. And the fights with my husband, and you know, it's just not worth it. And everybody was much happier afterwards. And I wish I'd done it 10 years before, but didn't. It's okay. Something that amazes me about your generation is that it's difficult for you guys to use they, them, theirs pronouns until it's about keeping someone anonymous. Then suddenly <laughs> everyone's an expert. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if that helps you answers your question, Mohit. I think when, yeah. when it is no longer your responsibility, your real responsibility to your family, your work is being impacted, then it's time to call time and mm-hmm. say, you know what, we have to reevaluate this. And I think taking action is the whole key mm-hmm. is about taking action and how to take action. I think there's nothing wrong with walking away or standing up for yourself I mean, the whole Gita is about Arjun standing up for what's truthful and what justice and good is, but being able to do it in a way that preserves his energy with equanimity to maximize his performance. But he had to take action. At some point, he had to close the window. I, I think people lose sight of that in the when they're looking at the Gita. They think, oh, if I do everything mm. internally. But actually, the Gita, the whole Gita is about right. Krishna telling Arjun, wait, you can't meditate your way out of this, buddy. Right, right, right. You, you can't. You actually can't put down and go your weapons and go up to the mountain. That's not going to work this time. This time, you must take action. Right. Because that was his responsibility. That was his duty. His dharma. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong. It is your dharma to make sure that you are protected once you have tried your best. Once you believe that you've. I would even lessen that. It's like once you've tried like a reasonable effort, if you are still in harm's way, um, it probably makes sense to go close the window. And I also, I totally agree with your point. And the fact that Krishna as a whole is actually convincing Arjun to take action. action. Yeah. Right. And just take the action in a way that like the intention is pure. Right. And- exactly. Exactly. The intention has to be pure that I'm doing this, like you said, not to gain victory Mm -hmm. and gain the kingdom for myself, Mm -hmm. but I'm doing this because it's my duty, it's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third part of the question, again, a lot of times we don't walk away. We think, was our effort wasted? Right. Mm -hmm. And Krishna says in chapter 2, verse 40, one of my favorite verses of all time, he says that if you do your duty in this way where you've maximized your performance, you've kept your equanimity, you're doing your best, you're leaving the rest, in this path, there is no loss of effort, nor is there fear of contrary result. He says, even if you don't get the desired result, you still get the karmic benefits, like the future good consequences will come mm-hmm. to you in some way, shape or form, they'll come to you. So there's no loss of effort, which mm. I love. I think that's great. First question I came up with was a question I made because I genuinely did not know your answer. And this next one is the same. For me, something that I have been thinking about is hope and how it can be a negative womb of pain as well and how there's like a sweet spot for hope that's like probably right i have bipolar disorder and i think that my my meds in like march started actually like really working and for three months i felt great 
and maybe innocently, maybe naively, but was like, wow, this is amazing. This is gonna, it's gonna be like this forever. And then three months later, when a lot of factors, like including quarantine and coronavirus kind of just threw everything off, um, I fell and I think I fell even harder because of that belief that like that hope that like maybe that was like the last mm. maybe that was the last effort I had to put in uh, maybe that was like the end of kind of the journey with uh, my bipolar disorder that was really tough for me um, and so now I'm kind of having to reform what hope looks like in terms of I think the right answer is giving up on hope and being like but, but not to the extent that I'm hopeless, if that makes sense. So I'm not hopeless. Like, I, I still believe things are going to get better. And I still believe that my efforts are meaningful, but um, which is a, not always the case, but is, should, is the right way, I think, to move forward. But I don't want to hope too much instead thinking, you know, maybe this is something I'll have to manage for the rest of my life. And maybe that's okay. So that's been my personal struggle with hope. So, you know, in the last podcast, we discussed this, how Sarita saying that what if things don't go as planned? Right. What if despite your best efforts, it's not going the way you want it to? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that Krishna says hope is actually in a, still an attachment to a particular result that you want. That's what hope is, right? So when you're attached to a particular result – and you don't get that result is when you actually feel hopeless, disappointed, angry, mm. frustrated. However, if you are in the moment and say, whatever I'm doing, I'm offering up as an offering to the universe that I'm not doing this mm-hmm. for a particular result. I'm doing it because this is my duty. I'm taking the meds. I'm doing my meditation. I'm working out, hydrating, eating, mm. whatever I'm supposed to do. This is my dharma. And then what the universe does with it is out of my control Lord Krishna says, everything will pass. Everything good will pass. Everything bad will pass. Everything passes. If you have an attachment to, oh, I want to feel as good as I felt three months ago, right? And then tomorrow, you you are incrementally better. You won't be able to appreciate those increments because you're still fixated in what you had in mind. Mm-hmm. You only feel frustration and disappointment that you're not there where you want to be. Right, right. And you won't be yeah. able to appreciate the incremental improvements mm-hmm. and that'll sap you of your energy. Mm-hmm. It'll just A, prolong the process mm-hmm. and B, you'll be so drowning in your own like frustration. Mm-hmm. It'll just be such right, a right. negative process. Mm-hmm. Except I know it's so difficult. Can't even imagine, but it's so difficult to just accept that, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm doing my dharma. I'm doing what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do and let the chips fall where they may mm. is a way to free yourself and empower yourself that I'm doing my duty. Or if you, if it does make you feel better, at least it'll maximize your chances because you'll let go of that anxiety. And then mm. you would have done the best you could and then where the chips fall where they fall. That's all you can do. Because you fixating on, or anyone fixating on getting to a particular goal, believe it or not, doesn't help you. It actually, it actually um, sabotages you to a certain extent. Everyone wants to feel mm. good. Everyone wants to feel better in health. But once you're doing what you're doing and what you're supposed to be doing, what else mm. can you do? Nothing. 
except fixate and ruminate and waste that energy and increase your anxiety. That's it. Once you've done your duty and you've put in your best effort, there's only anxiety left mm-hmm. and rumination and obsession. Yeah. It's, yeah. What you're saying, I think it's, it's very hard to, um, to kind of know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and like not have that, like, I want it <laughs> like glimmer yeah. Cause you're right. That, that hope. And, and I think he says this in chapter five, Krishna, but that hope is, is another way of framing. Like, I really want this. Right. I think maybe, maybe the original question is more about desires that make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, mm. And desires that are objectively like good for you, but you still have to kind of approach them without that yearning or that attachment yeah and then even if it's hard yeah of course it's hard yeah of course yeah and you can't do the opposite either you can't give up and say oh well it'll never happen it's never going to get better no because so it's it's like a balance like it's out of my control but again i hope it'll get better i don't it's hard it's like hard to even it's like baked into our language even krishna suggests always that we replace hope with acceptance Mm. and with equanimity Mm-hmm. trying to stay even-minded and keep chipping away at your duty, your dharma and mm-hmm. having satisfaction in that I did what I was, what I am supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And he always says that the fruits will always come of your labor. They will always in one form or another, the fruits of your work, of your labor will be there. Just not in the way you initially expected not necessarily sometimes hey bonus you get what mm. you want but oftentimes we don't and then but we're so fixated on what we wanted in the first mm. place, we don't appreciate what we actually right. got right so he doesn't actually want us to miss out on the gift right. we have by fixating but wait i wanted that i wanted a but i got b i didn't want b but sometimes mm-hmm. b is pretty good but we mm-hmm. don't enjoy b because we wanted a mm-hmm he doesn't want yeah. to miss out. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. What you're saying about that, you're missing out on incremental progress. It's kind of interesting that you say that because my psychiatrist and I said to him, like, will this ever get better? And he was like, what do you mean? Like, even talking to you now, I'm not going to say you're doing great, but you're better than the first day you came in. Right. Um, he was like, I can tell, I can tell you're just doing better than the first day you came in. That's like important to remember. And that it is a, a bumpy road to the top. Always. Thank you, Mohit, for joining me today and taking the time not only to record with me, but to edit, which is huge. <laughs> saved me hours and hours and hours. So thank you very much. No problem. Because I edited and spent a billion hours listening to this, I'll go yeah. ahead and summarize it. Yeah, you do the summary. So my favorite idea in the Bhagavad Gita is that Krishna says that pleasure and pain needed to be treated alike. I find this intellectually kind of mind-bending because we see pleasure obviously as a good thing but there are scenarios that this concept points out where attachment to pleasure can be harmful to us if you are attached to only experiencing joy then maybe that parts of your life that are not so pleasant you'll not give the mental energy because you won't want to think about that pain so as to only experience the joy but ultimately that pain will still be there. And I think that is a dangerous. After this, I asked you 
about how you perceive, as per the Gita's teachings, the difference between internal work and external work, and when one flips between those two. And I liked your answer that one has, in addition to the duty to be able to be even-minded, one also has the duty to protect themselves. And so I thought that answer made a lot of sense. Mohit, you also asked me about hope. Sometimes when we cling on to our hope and our hopes get dashed, then we feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. Hope is another word for a desire. Mm-hmm. Maybe Right, we, a desire that maybe makes sense. Yeah, makes sense and we don't view it as something material, right? right? It's not exactly. a bigger home or, or stuff. Mm-hmm. We want physical health, mental health. You know, we want happiness. But when you're attached to a certain level of health or a certain level mm-hmm. of happiness, then you're actually dashing your chances of happiness because then if you don't achieve that preconceived notion, then you get disappointed and then you mm-hmm. don't enjoy what you have. It prevents you from enjoying what you have in the moment. Yeah. Or even if you are unable to experience joy in that moment, it prevents you from being able to be sober and kind of being like, all right, like what now? Like what's my next step? And deal efficiently with what the next step is. But according to Krishna, we should just carry on with the effort to achieve it, but let go of that yearning for that result because that frees us from our anxiety. If we have that yearning, then it actually sabotages us. Mm -hmm. So all these teachings are really, really, really hard to do. But according to Krishna, we can achieve it with diligent practice. And we need to meditate to be able to have the mental strength to practice. Totally. Okay, so thank you, Mohit, for doing this with me. And um, for everybody, thank you for listening to all five episodes of this podcast. Don't forget to listen to the bonus mini pods. Yeah, we'll see you in January. We'll see you on the other side once 2020 is over. And also look us up on Facebook, Instagram, give us your feedback. Everywhere and anywhere that you can find podcasts, we're available. Please, please, please give us a high rating, a good comment, and we'll see you next time. Vote. Vote. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and we will see you for the next season of Gita Girl. Jesse Krishna. Vasudeva Sutam Devam Kansu Janura Mardanam Devaki Paramarandam Krishnam Vandev Jagat Guram